We never know where life will lead us or what may hinder us along the way. But while every day can feel like one big question mark, it doesn't have to. With the right insights, strategies, and solutions from Western and Southern Financial Group, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco. And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson. And there's all sorts of NFL news. We're going to break it all down from Aaron Rodgers to Devontae Adams to Michael Thomas, Cam Akers. Sam's favorite player, Vince Williams, has been cut slash retired. All sorts of big news over the last weekend and the last couple of weeks, Sam. Yeah, it's how you know football's coming back, right? There's actually things to talk about that happened in the NFL landscape as opposed to the stuff that we've been manufacturing for the last, you know, couple of months to have things to talk about. Yeah, like, we're, football's coming back. The uh, PFF NFL Daily is coming back. Uh, back. First episode. Already there. Already there. We, we're in mid-season form already, Steve. We've already screwed up the audio on one of the, uh, the tracks. A little bit my bad. We'll have that fixed tomorrow. Um, but, yeah, the... The Daily's back. Football's back. Guess what else is back, Steve? The best read we have. Oh, yes. One of our top sponsors is back. So stick with us. Yeah. Not that you're going anywhere, but one of our top sponsors is back and better than ever. Going all out, Sam. All out. They are back. PFF Daily's back, as you mentioned. The other thing I want to uh, bring back is giving away PFF subscription. If you guys send us a screenshot of you guys subscribing to both this, the PFF NFL podcast, and the PFF NFL Daily. Send us a screenshot. Hey, I subscribe to both. We'll put you in the running for a free PFF Edge annual subscription. And the other thing that reminds you of football season, of course, is our Save 40, 40% off PFF subscription sale, which is ending today, July 26th. So you have to get in right now. If you're listening to the podcast right now on July 26th, it's your last chance. If you're listening on July 27th or 28th, it might not really be your last chance, so just go try it and see what happens. Sometimes they forget to turn it off, but it's 40% off for all new subscribers. First-time subscribers at PFF using the promo code SAVE40, SAVE40. Did I give away too much of a, a hint there, Sam? No, no, no. I think you're fine. I was well okay. done. Yeah. Uh, but the thing I like is you can get access to all of PFF's fantasy tools for just $5.99. Incredible deal. All right, man. You ready to go? Yeah, yeah. Let's roll. Uh, let's talk some Aaron Rodgers, Green Bay Packers, Devontae Adams. On the PFF Daily today, we did break down Devontae Adams and some landing spots and what's happening there. We have to look at the Aaron Rodgers lens. I know we've discussed it. I know we've discussed it a ton this offseason. But, you know, we're close. Training camp is in two days right now. What's actually going to happen with Aaron Rodgers? Right, and it's it's different now. There's been updates, right? Like the there have been reports late last week that multiple 
bookies essentially believe that Aaron Rodgers is going to retire this week. So he's 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 bouncing. He's out. Um, and this is like this has been the crux of it for Green Bay. They've kind of played hardball on this. They they or at least you know Rodgers has been reported to want out of the situation. You know they burned the bridge. He doesn't want to put it back together again. He wants gone. They have been all the way along trying to put this back together or at least believing they could um, and have proceeded essentially along those lines, which puts it down to him, right? At that stage, they're essentially saying, no, 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 we want you to continue playing here and we have no intention of trading you elsewhere. So your options are come back or retire, Um, you know, walk away and host Jeopardy. And so far, the reports are that while he might want to play somewhere else, like Denver, for example, if that if those are the two options on the table, come back or leave, he's leaving. The the rumors going around too are, are they they're trying to link Aaron Rodgers threatening to retire, much like Carson Palmer did to the to the Cincinnati Bengals, forcing the Bengals' hand to trade them to the to trade him to the Raiders uh, back 2011. Was that 2010 or 11? I think it was 11. Um, do we think? What do you do if you're Green Bay at this point? If that's the truth, I know you said, which I completely disagreed with, <laughs> you said the worst case scenario for the Packers is they trade him and Rodgers goes and wins a championship. And I mm-hmm. said the absolute worst case scenario to me is retirement because what 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 Aaron Rodgers does elsewhere doesn't really matter for the Green Bay Packers. It just doesn't. It's an ego. It's a, it's a kick to the ego, Sam, but it does not affect the Packers going forward. Retirement from Aaron Rodgers, one of the most valuable players, the most the MVP, but one of the most valuable players in the NFL right now with nothing in return for that asset, that is the biggest loss for the Packers. Okay, it's a slightly different situation, but are you telling me that Tom Brady winning a Super Bowl championship and gearing up for another one does not in any way, shape, or form affect the New England Patriots and Bill Belichick? Because that's essentially what you're claiming, right? Is that what Rodgers does once he leaves Green Bay doesn't affect Green Bay when it, doesn't it clearly affect, does. It doesn't affect how well the Patriots are going to play this year. It doesn't affect whether or not they're going to compete or win the AFC East. It, it might affect a little bit of history and perception of Belichick and perception right. of Kraft. It, it affects some of that. But, 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 but the Green Bay Packers, the one way that the New England Patriots can rectify the Tom Brady situation is by building a good team and playing well. The one way the Packers could make do with you know Aaron Rodgers moving on and say, okay, we didn't need him, is by going out and winning games. And if you're not getting two or three first-round picks in, in return, you're hurting your chances of doing that if you're the Packers. But it is, it's a perception issue, and perception is real for these people whose jobs are on the line for this. If you trade away Aaron Rodgers and he immediately goes somewhere else, I mean, if it's Denver, which is the most obvious likely landing spot for Rodgers should he get shipped anywhere that is a championship caliber team just waiting for a quarterback which is why it makes it all the more dangerous if you trade him off to Denver Rodgers walks into a couple of Super Bowls you look like idiots and if you if the guy that you had pegged as his replacement if Jordan Love isn't good you look even worse at least if you let him if he if he retires if he just leaves you get to kind of maintain you know, the, the integrity of, hey, we wanted this guy, we tried to keep him, he walked away, and now we're, you know, on a, on a downslope because the guy we wanted to replace him wasn't as good as we thought he was or he wasn't ready or whatever it is, you get to look okay. If Rodgers leaves and 
wins a couple of Super Bowls, you look terrible. You look like Bill Belichick right now with the Patriots. And while the answer to that, the remedy is to just be better, like it's a hole that you didn't need to dig yourself into. But if you're the Packers, do you just look at Aaron Rodgers as a sunk cost at this point, though? I mean, he is not – if this situation can't be rectified, it's, it's, it's over, right? I mean, you can't yeah. – so you have to get something for him is my point if you're the Green Bay Packers. I also – I mean, it got to last week, and I was thinking – I guess nothing's going to happen in the Aaron Rodgers situation. I got to that point uh, on Friday where in my head, I was like, all right, I guess he's probably just going to show up for camp and just kind of suck it up and play. And, and then all of a sudden their win totals off the books. Right. So clearly something's happening. Something's going on. Um, do you think it's actually retirement or do you think it's a bluff? Do you think it's a bluff to get to Denver or whichever team Rodgers might want to go to? No, I mean, I don't think at any point in this, in this whole scenario, Rodgers has been bluffing. Now, that doesn't mean it isn't a ploy to get to Denver or whoever, but I think if, it, it, like, if, if Green Bay try and call his bluff, he'll walk away. I don't think this is a bluff. I think he might be trying to get to Denver. Like, in Rodgers' mind, the optimal scenario is I get traded away to Denver and I get a, another shot at some championships, but then the hierarchy goes retirement going back to green bay like the so he would in his optimum scenario he's still playing next year for somebody else but i think he's perfectly prepared to walk away from the nfl rather than you know back down and seed this to green bay and come back tail between his legs albeit significantly richer um i just don't think that's gonna happen like he's he's not playing next year in green bay the only thing left for the packers to decide is which is the lesser of two evils? Is it getting something for him and risking being made look a fool or just letting him leave and just saying, all right, the whole thing broke down and we're not going to get anything for him, but at least he's not going to come back to haunt us down the road. They might already look a fool, to be honest, getting it to this point. I mean, point. they do. Look, yeah, the, you can definitely argue that you've – like this is – this is the Packers' bed that they've already made that they now have to choose exactly which direction to lie in it, but – They've already made the bed. Like, they screw this up immediately the point they drafted Jordan Love because whatever, they, whatever was going to happen, they were at least a year too early in making that move. Even if you reverse time and go back and say, look, Rodgers looks like he's declining right now. He is on the downswing of his career, and he's not looking like the MVP we saw from before. It wasn't crazy to think that Rodgers needed – you know, he started to need to think – about the future, <clears throat> the issue is when you decided to do it. And with that contract there, they, they were always going to run into this problem with the year they decided to make that happen. If they'd done it a year later, things would have been okay. Like they could have rolled through, la uh, rolled through this season and then the contract is a lot more palatable and easier to move on from. The year they chose to do it was always going to set up some form of problem. It wasn't necessarily this one, but it was always going to cause an issue. Uh, there's all there's all sorts of stuff happening around the league. Let's wrap up the Packers because it Devontae Adams again, he wants out supposedly because he does they're they're not going to extend him. Again, we broke it down on the PFF NFL daily today. Uh, we gave it a good ten minutes of analysis and breaking down exactly why it's difficult for the Packers to maybe re up Devontae Adams for what he wants. Um, but there's also you've got Zadarius Smith. You know. Uh, Arguably the, the best pass rusher on the Packers. He's been competing with Preston Smith and the emerging Rashawn Gary. But, you know, Zedarius has been the best pass rusher over there in Green Bay. He wants to get paid as well. So 
maybe that is one of the bigger issues. Like if Aaron Rodgers isn't, if we know that he's back and the Packers are sitting there as probably the, the top contender in the NFC right next to the Tampa Bay Bucks, is this happening with either Devontae Adams uh, or with Zedarius Smith? This one is a really tough one because you can, you can actually make the argument that Green Bay is right on this, this particular one, the Devontae Adams issue, where, look, DeAndre Hopkins, the deal he got in Arizona, has messed with the marketplace in terms of wide receiver contracts. Like, that one is out of kilter with the rest of the deals in the NFL. And that causes problems for everybody that's coming after that. So Devontae Adams comes along, and the natural starting point for anybody that's in his kind of position, which is, look, I'm coming off a season where I led the league in yards per route run, um, was the most efficient, the best receiver in the NFL. My starting point is the best paid wide receiver in football. So he, that's where he wants to start with this contract. But Green Bay is looking at it and saying, look, it's not, that's not where the market should be. Like we've got one outlier over here. It doesn't fit the graph. So we don't want to start there. We don't want to make you the most the best paid wide receiver in the nfl we want to start somewhere else particularly when you start factoring in look you're heading into age 29 wide receivers look justin jefferson comes into the league and is one of the best receivers out there as a rookie um it's easier and easier to find a great wide receiver in the draft and and a guy that can hit the ground running this is not a move we want to make um so from the packers point of view you can actually look at that and say to be honest, knowing that you need to pay potentially as a Darius Smith and you've got money that needs to be allocated elsewhere, that's actually the right move. The problem is you're tying that now to Aaron Rodgers and like suddenly your best two players are wanting to get out of the building. You don't have that replacement for Devontae Adams already there because you haven't foreseen this coming and it just looks like the sky is falling. <laughs> like Everything is collapsing around Green Bay. But in this one particular instance, you can kind of argue that, hey, this is not a bad stand to make if you're the Packers, if you remove it from all that other context, which, of course, you can't do. And that, again, like you, you, you create problems, right? You make a rod for your own back when you start making these decisions like drafting Jordan Love because it has these knock-on effects. This is a little bit like, you know, the Zeke Elliott contract in Dallas. It's like not only is it a bad deal in, a, in itself – but it's going to have problems down the line that you can't get away from, which just magnify the issue. Are the the Packers are, are basically two moves away from looking going from Super Bowl contender to looking like they're rebuilding. Yeah, and, and you know, don't make no mistake, they are a Super Bowl contender right now because Aaron Rodgers is there because we're coming off a season where he was the highest graded quarterback in the NFL. Devontae Adams is there; he was the highest graded re receiver in the NFL. If you lose those two guys and you look at this roster, the offensive line is a big question mark for the first time in probably three or four years, just because of uh, uncertainty at right tackle and uh, just a youth movement essentially on the interior there. Um, in the defense, it's not like they were great anyway. Jair Alexander was fantastic at, at cornerback. He was our top graded guy there, but you know the, the number two cornerback situation was bad last year and it's uh, we don't necessarily have a clean answer for who that guy is gonna be this year. So. Uh, there are issues on this roster, and losing Rodgers and losing Adams obviously completely changes the perception of the Packers. It's not just they're losing some fantasy football stars or anything. They are losing the engine for this team, the, you know, the team that went to the NFC Championship each of the last two years. Before we get into the next team, where quarterback could be on the move, got to give a shout-out to our friends over at Fantrax. Fantrax is 
NFL Fantasy Football League Manager is the most customizable, easy to use, and feature-rich platform in the entire industry. PFF is gearing up to play our leagues on Fantrax this season. I've already been doing it, and I win every year, too. That's just that's because of, of the PFF products, though, Sam. You know that. Multi-team trades, player salary and contract options, bonus points for touchdowns of different yardage, projected player rankings based off your league's custom scoring, and you can also auto-generate player salaries for your league. Whichever league you're in, you can customize it exactly the way you want, and the best part is, if you're coming from another site, that's no problem. Fantrax can import any of your current leagues. Sign up right now at Fantrax.com PFF and actually get a chance to win an autographed jersey from the great Josh Allen. Cyborg quarterback Josh Allen of the Buffalo Bills. You get an autographed jersey, uh, you have a chance to win. You don't actually get it. See, now I just screwed <coughs> up. You don't actually get it. You have a chance to win from our favorite player, Josh Allen. It's Fantrax.com slash PFF, the home of fantasy sports. The uh, right. That's interesting, though, timing-wise, because Thursday is going to be the day where I have to dress up like minor league Steve. So if you're listening on Monday, Thursday's show is going to be the day. Steve's going to be back in the building. Steve's going to be back in Cincinnati, Queen City, Steve, uh, bringing a whole yeah. collection of baseball crap. Um, and I have to not only do I have to dress up in that, but I also have to shave this down into some like you know you don't have lip. to listen you, you have to follow the minor league rules there is no facial hair allowed below the lip. correct follow so that's what i'll be doing protocol. i had to like i had to get a haircut with the like with this in mind right i couldn't normally there would be more of a fade going on here but i had to keep it long keep it knowing down. that i'm going to be like shaving like this so it's quite the I'm enterprise wearing, this is i'm wearing the old seattle uh shirt you you might be rocking a little seattle undershirt for the show yeah. okay you, now how cold is it in the studio right now because i do ha i've got some really warm turtlenecks well the good thing is my um executive decision to bump up the temperature in here on the thermostat over there has been successful like the coup it stays the coup yeah. has been staged and it hasn't been reset nobody has since come in here and gone you know what's really missing from the studio freezing my freaking nuts off so i'm going to turn <laughs> the temperature back down it's been fine and now i can rock a polo in here i don't have to show up with full sleeves you might you might want to lower it though for thursday okay because when you the, the heavy the heavy turtleneck the game jacket it gets more right. you got to keep the well, arm warm sam Plus the uh, plus the like general temperature bump from just being in a constant state of like embarrassment, I would imagine we'll do something there. <laughs> All right, let's get to uh, Deshaun Watson has reported to camp for the Houston Texans. Of course, the bigger story on Watson this year has been all of the off off field allegations. We, we don't know what's going to happen with that. We do know that the Texans want to trade him still. I think I guess the thing I'm curious about is even before the allegations, why they weren't going to trade him before, you know, what has, what has brought it to this point? Are they going to wait until we have a better idea of what the, what any potential punishment is if, if that happens, but there's a good chance Deshaun Watson is also on the move at some point here early in training camp. Yeah, this is, I guess just because, you know, training camp has arrived, so he's got to show up. This has suddenly become accelerated and a thing again, <clears throat> like all the way along, the Texans have said they don't want to trade him. Then they became slightly more open to the idea, and now it appears they actually have an asking price. But the asking price is three first-round picks. Like the asking price is we have Deshaun Watson coming off you know, a 90-plus PFF-graded season, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, a guy who, you know, our top five graded quarterbacks last year, 
were the four quarterbacks that played in the championship games, the NFC and the AFC championship games, and Deshaun Watson, right? So that's the asking price they've set. It's we have a guy capable of putting you in the Super Bowl along with these other four quarterbacks that cost three first-round picks. But the asking price appears to be completely, you know, independent of the idea that he's got 22 like lawsuits hanging over his head, which we're just going to, like, hope you don't notice. Um, the, the early rumor on that was that he might be facing an eight-game suspension. It, it feels like even guessing about that at this point, though, yes. is, is, is pure speculation, right? Because right? we have no idea what's going to happen with this. Well, not just that. Like, so, yeah, guessing on that, I think, is, is sort of irresponsible, disrespectful to certain people and, and a whole world of things we don't want to get into. But it also it becomes an absolute nightmare for any team that's potentially wanting to trade for him, right? So, right. you know, you hear talk the Eagles would be interested. Miami is a team that's always got that capital right now and, and could have made this move at the start of the offseason, didn't. But maybe, you know, if this drags on into the season and Tua doesn't look good, Miami could be a team that, you know, wants to jump on, on a change. But even, like, whatever happens with this, you are signing up to bring in this guy with 22 lawsuits hanging over your head, right? And I don't know what the number is where you start to, like the benefit of the doubt disappears and you start to assume something rather than nothing out of all these lawsuits, but it's probably larger than, or it's probably smaller than 22, right? So any team that's bringing him in, not only are you trading whatever it is, three first round picks or whatever the deal ends up being, but you are voluntarily acquiring a guy with this degree of baggage and you know PR swirling around him that you're going to have to address for the next however long like this doesn't go away if he just gets an eight game suspension and then comes back because there's a giant section of people rightly who are going to be looking at this and saying why have you brought this guy into this team not only like why have you gone out of your way to, to acquire this guy okay he's good at football but there are, you know, there are bigger things in life. It does feel like any team potentially trading for Watson needs to know what the what the results of all of the, right. the chaos has been. And needs to be willing be. to deal with that. Like needs to right. not just be willing, but have some kind of like plan beyond just like bumbling through the PR shitstorm that's going to be coming because that's not going to be good. So I, I don't know. I don't think that stuff gets resolved by the season. So now are the Texans just going to sit there and have Deshaun Watson as their starting quarterback just right. out of, you know, by default? I, we'll see what happens. I think the the point I wanted to make here mostly was that, hey, training camp's happening, and we're talking about Aaron Rodgers maybe on the move, uh, Deshaun Watson potentially on the move. You're talking about, hey, midseason, would a team like the Dolphins trade for Deshaun Watson? That stuff's really not common you don't get a lot yeah. of mid-season quarterback trades or anything like that i'm trying to think back to the times when a quarterback's been traded and then immediately had to play with a new team the one that comes to mind was sam bradford yeah a couple of years ago right he was in, in eagles training camp a week before the season he gets traded to the vikings they didn't even let him start week one because he's still getting acclimated to the playbook and then week two the great sam bradford was unbelievable mm -hmm. uh, i believe against the saints that year right um so and, and then Bradford went in on to start the last 15 games of the year. It's just an uncommon thing, and it's a different position, right? The quarterback needs to know everything, needs to know the entire playbook. So even if Aaron Rodgers ends up in Denver a week from now, 
it's really not, I mean, it's not an easy situation to go in, learn the playbook, get used to all, all your receivers and be ready to go in a month. I don't know that that's a slam dunk that Aaron Rodgers is, is great, right? Immediately, if he's in Denver this late in the game and the same thing maybe for Watson, if he gets traded now or perhaps, you know, during the season. Yeah. And the Texans continue to just like, <laughs> they, they trade for Anthony Miller from the Chicago bears, you know, ceiling, just dominating the second string. The Texans are going to, like, when, when it gets to preseason and we get to see the number twos against number twos, the Texans' number twos are going to kick the living crap out of every other team in the NFL. It's just that their number ones aren't any better than their number twos. Um, Deshaun Watson accepting, and we have no idea what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson. So uh, the Texans are just one of the most fascinating teams in the NFL to me right now because I have no earthly idea what they're doing. I, I don't right. have any clue what the strategy is, at least with Detroit. Okay, there's debate as to like how conscious as a strategy I told you, I it know, is. I think I know what the strategy is. For Texan, for Houston. Yes. What are they doing? High volume attempt at just finding talent. Um, oh. I also think that there's a there's a Nick Casario move to get uh, you know, character guys or whatever that is. I, I I'm not I'm not speaking on the guys that he signed. I just think there there is a I think the attempt is a culture change. Or whatever, okay. and you do that by bringing in a ton of new <coughs> players. Um, the concept of bringing a whole bringing in a whole bunch of guys and seeing what sticks, I like. But who um, are they starting? I, like, there's no point. I don't okay, know. It's it's great to have like all these guys come in that could be useful parts of like the depth chart, but at some point you need to address the first 22 guys on the roster, right? Yes, I agree. I I, I think they'll get there. <laughs> the part the part that I didn't get the most was not not trying to trade down as much as possible in the draft. And in fact, making one of the most egregious trades up, up in, yeah. in recent NFL draft history by the, you know, the Texans going up to get Nico Collins. So that's the part that I didn't get. It, it, you know, you have to spend a ton of draft capital to get this roster back on track. There's still question marks, but I think if you look at their defense and how bad they were last year, having guys like Shaq Lawson, I, I know JJ Watt's gone. But having guys like Shaq Lawson on the roster, uh, Desmond King, Terrence Mitchell, Kevin Pierre-Lewis, like none of those are exciting in isolation. But they're incremental upgrades. Incremental. Very small upgrades. So there is a chance the Texans aren't as egregious as we thought. Now, obviously, all of that comes down to the quarterback position, right? If, if, if we're talking it's Davis Mills or it's Tyrod Taylor starting a quarterback, that's a lot different than Deshaun Watson. But... Take the Watson, take the off-field stuff away from Watson for one second here. Pretend he's excited about playing in Houston, and he's the number four graded quarterback last year in the NFL. I think there's an argument to be made that the Texans, with all these little moves here and there, could be better or should be better even than last year. The offensive line, bringing in Marcus Cannon, not too bad. The, the, the receivers are just as, you know, pretty much the same thing as last year. Brandon Cooks, Randall Cobb. Uh, Anthony Miller comes in. So it's a whole bunch of middle-class type of players for a team that was below average in a whole lot of different areas last year. So that's that's what I'm looking at with the Texans. I'm not excited about them or anything. I just don't know if it's as dire maybe as we're saying for this year, depending on what happens at quarterback. By the way, one thing that complicates the Deshaun Watson thing even more is that he has a no-trade clause, so he controls to a degree any team that he goes to. Like he... Yeah. 
he can he's the gatekeeper in this, right? Even if Houston is suddenly open to the idea of trading him and has their asking price and teams are willing to meet it, if Watson isn't interested in going to whatever team that is, it's not happening. Like, they're not even starting conversations. So while we speculate Miami, Philadelphia, whoever it is, if Watson's not interested, it's not happening, um, which just – you know, adds a further layer of complication to what's already like a nightmare scenario for everybody involved, pretty much. Speaking of speculation, the people have been speculating. What's the big announcement? Who's coming back to PFF? Well, support for PFF is brought to you by Manscaped, Sam. They're back. Back and better than ever. They're the best in men's below the waist grooming. And they're the champions of the world in that department. They're, they're the Super Bowl champions in below the waist grooming for men. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. Sam, did you got a, you, you got that uh, hand delivered to you, right? Uh, hand delivered? That That's sounding a little bit sketchy given the conversation we're, we're, or the, the subject matter at hand, but a box arrived at my house. Stuff full of Manscaped goodies, including the lawnmower 4.0. This is, uh, what do we get up to RPM-wise now? We've got to be way over what my car is capable of achieving. But yeah, 4.0, that's, that's three iterations of, you know, improvement over whatever that, the 1.0 was. Um, complete, you know, they, what else was in this box? I got, I got a t-shirt. I got uh, one of the, like this awesome kind of travel wash bag thing, which is really nice. Fancy leather stuff. Um, the 4.0 and all its accessories and a couple of other little bits and pieces. And we were early adopters. We were back at the 2.0 and that thing was great. So imagine how good the 4.0 is. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code PFF over at manscapes.com. Manscaped engineered the ultimate groin and body trimmer by focusing on intelligent functionality and an incredibly comfortable grooming experience. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. I now feel confident shaving my boys, Sam. That's what it Mm -hmm. says. Mm -hmm. And I read it. (laughs) Did I mention wireless charging? The new wireless charging system usually uses electromagnetic induction, which can help battery length last longer. You know, (laughs) this thing's good with the electromagnetic induction. So. 20% 20% off, free shipping. Use the code PFF at manscapes.com. Promo code is PFF, manscapes.com. That's 20% off with free shipping. Manscaped.com. Use promo code PFF. Un- unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. This isn't uh, part of the read, but I find it amazing and fantastic that they trademarked the phrase, your balls will thank you. Well, they did. Yeah, that is trademarked. Yeah. I mean, that's phenomenal. I would trademark that if that became my slogan. I think that's great. Yeah, I was I'm trying fact, to I'm tweet it out. I didn't get in there first. I was going to tweet that out recently, and then I was like, whoa, 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 don't want to mess with, uh, with that right. trademark and you know any sort of rights issues. You don't want don't those want lawyers coming down on you for that. Do not at all. Um, so, yeah, the Texans, eh, I don't know. I'm in, I'm in a positive world here. It's still the offseason. Yes, you are, so, always. Yeah. We'll, we'll, have, we'll have season previews for everybody. Uh, also this weekend, Chandler Jones, Arizona Cardinals edge defender, requests a trade. Mm-hmm. What I don't like is when I've got this, I've got a take. I've spent all offseason giving this take about the Cardinals and now Chandler Jones and J.J. Watt uh, and and all of the positionless players that they've added there and versatile players like Isaiah Simmons. you got Buda Baker and all this stuff. And then Chandler Jones is going to mess it up because he, you know, he wants a long-term contract, Sam. He sees DeAndre Hopkins locked up. He sees them invest in J.J. Watt. 
<laughs> Kyler Murray's coming up soon, probably. You know, so Chandler Jones wants a trade. It's just funny how hard it is to like maintain a roster, you know, a good roster in the NFL because you make one move and you sort of look at it and you're like, oh, this is great. We add it to all the pieces that are already there and it's great. We just, we get better. But making that one move upsets two or three players who, you know, now they're not the best paid guy or whatever. And they're immediately, you know, making moves to get more money. It's just, it's so hard because of the salary cap, because of the finite amount of money tied up everywhere, and the number of guys you have on your roster. Like, when you do these lists, you know, list season, June, May in the NFL, and you, you put a guy not number one, like five guys are going to be upset because they're not number one. And obviously only one guy can be number one. This happens in every single roster in the NFL. We're going to see it now when Jamal Adams signs a contract extension in Seattle, his starting point, obviously, is like best paid safety in the NFL. But I would imagine he also wants to be the best paid defender on the Seahawks, which right now is Bobby Wagner. Now, does that upset Bobby? Like, well, maybe we'll get him on and find out. Who knows? Who knows, Steve, <laughs> if that'll ever happen? But Someday. Like, does, bringing, does making Jamal Adams the best paid defender on the Seahawks piss Bobby Wagner off? And now you got to re-up his deal. And like, so now you got two guys, each of whom want to be the best paid defender on the team, Obviously, one of which can't. So, like, Arizona, you bring in J.J. Watt, you're like, oh, great, now we can start talking about one of the best edge defender duos in the NFL. But just in doing that, you pissed off one member of your edge defending duo who now wants to be traded elsewhere. Now, at least they're saying, well, no, we're not trading you. But, like, it's funny just how hard it is to maintain, you know, this degree of sort of harmony with everybody pulling in the right direction because, to a degree, everybody's also add from themselves, right? Yeah, Chandler Jones, only 298 snaps last year. It was the first time he hadn't played a full season since 2014. We're talking about a guy who has been incredibly durable. You go to PFF Premium Stats, all part of your PFF Elite Package. You check out uh, Chandler Jones' player page. Look at how many times he played over 1,000 snaps. Now, that includes some deep playoff runs with the Patriots and the whole deal, but he is an every-down edge defender, a guy who plays the run, is solid there, uh, has been a, an excellent pass rusher over the last four seasons in particular. A guy who's always had high sack totals. We talked about it before about how he kind of, um, he's one of those outliers that kind of breaks up our, you know, look at pressures over sacks. He's, he's maintained high sack totals. Um, I think in part because he wins with his hands. Uh, you know, he can win late. You know, he's always in and around the, the quarterback as a pass rusher. And you can move him around the defensive formation a little bit. Again, why I like him in that Arizona defense with J.J. Watt coming in. So, um, our, our Brad Spielberger wrote on PFF.com, another another guy who's a little unhappy with his contract, Xavier Howard, cornerback from the Miami Dolphins. So Brad, and I've seen others online do this too, kind of linked up the two. The Dolphins could use a pass rush upgrade. Mm -hmm. the, the Cardinals need a cornerback. They need somebody over there on the outside opposite Malcolm Butler. So uh, this is a, a serious question here where you've got two players upset in Chandler Jones and Xavier Howard, and one of the rare times a player-for-player -player trade might actually make sense for both teams. Yeah, it's funny. This is one of the few where literally just a swap actually makes some sense. Almost never happens. Just a, just a straight-up trade, player-for-player. -player. But this one could actually work that way. Um, the, the only downside to that is if you're Miami, it's not like you don't need Xavier Howard. You know what I mean? Like, 
Oh, I agree. I mean, I, w- I wouldn't necessarily do it if I'm the Dolphins. I, if I'm the Cardinals, I would jump at that chance. Um, and particularly, I'm just saying, if you know you can't sign a Xavier right. Howard, yeah. is that going to be a But you've already got him signed. That's the thing. Like, he, I mean, you, he's sort of agitating. Right. He's agitating for, like, another deal, in addition, like, on top of the deal that he already signed his big money extension there. So he's, he doesn't have a ton of leverage. But particularly with the way Noah Igbenogany played year one, like, you're not – overly blessed with cornerbacks you're in a pretty good spot as long as you have Xavier Howard but if you have to ship him out plug in Igbenogany who who was lit on fire in a you know a baptism by fire year one you're suddenly not in a great position I know Byron Jones is there as well but like that takes a position of strength and makes it to I would say the other side of average unless one or two one of those guys plays dramatically different this year than they did a year ago so that for a, just for an upgrade at pass rush, I wouldn't be leaping at that deal if I'm Miami. Couple ways to look at Xavier Howard's performance throughout his career. Remember, we've talked about him since college as this highly volatile corner who has the length and ball skills to just look incredible. That's what we saw last season: ten interceptions. That's you know, it's it's an incredible number. You just don't see that often, and you don't see it often because it doesn't happen often. It doesn't get repeated often. So you, you can't pay. Or you can't look at Xavier Howard as a 10 interception guy, but he also had seven in 2018. Like he is a playmaker. Um, he's been kind of on that Marcus Peters type of spectrum of, of a highly volatile player. We'll give up a lot of yards, but again, we'll turn the ball over. We'll make those great plays. And he's doing it in a scheme in Miami where they, you know, they've, they went from playing a lot more zone to playing that Belichick style of a ton of man coverage, which puts a lot of pressure on corners. But when you look at Xavier Howard's career from a coverage grade standpoint, he's been in the 60s two years, 75, had a very limited sample size in 2019, so I won't even count that. And then last year, the 89.6. So again, you could say he's either on his way up trajectory-wise or he's going to come back down to earth a little bit. Um, we did get it. We got an astute email about regression, Sam. I don't know mm-hmm. if you saw that, but just a- asking us to define how we look at regression. And I would just say when you have – when you have a big enough sample size of a, of a guy's work and there's one season that is higher, much higher or much lower than the rest of the sample size, I'm just expecting him to come back down, uh, up or down to wherever he was previous, his previous baseline would be my simplest answer. And Xavier Howard could be a guy that exemplifies that. Yeah, I mean, I think the simple answer to that email is we use it in both definitions. You know, regression is either um, a decline, which is the way most people use it, or from a mathematical technical standpoint it can also mean just you know going back towards the mean in either direction so it can be a decline or it can be going upwards right you can get you can regress positively from one year to the next and some you know we use them not interchangeably but we use them in both ways depending on what exactly we're talking about um i i think there's there are reasons to think that Xavier howard is now a top tier nfl cornerback i still think his volatile nature of play will see him like he's not going to be a 10 pick guy next year, but I still think there's a good chance. He, he's, he strikes me a little bit like, like a cornerback version of Josh Allen. I think we did see a shift in what he's going to be as a baseline, but he's not going to play exactly the way he did last year. Like it was just too good. So he'll come down from being a 10 pick guy, but I think he'll still be a top tier cornerback. And I think he does suit this man coverage style of defense more than he did um, the zone system that he was in earlier in his career. Um, but as I say, if you're Miami, I just don't love trading him. I, like you, 
deliberately stockpiled this cornerback position. It was a good move. It paid dividends, and you don't have the contingency yet unless you see something different from Igbenogany this year to move him on without suffering like a major decline. Yeah, this is it's got to be frustrating if you're the Dolphins. I mean, I, I really think they've done a great job of building that secondary. Byron Jones, they brought in last year. They paid him the big money. So they went and said, we want to have a really good number one and number two. And that's what they have mm-hmm. in Xavier Howard and Byron Jones. With all the man coverage that they play, there's a lot of pressure on those guys, as I've said. But then there's also bringing in Justin Coleman, who's had spurts of good play at slot corner in that system. Noah Igbenogany, who you mentioned as a first-rounder, who projects better to the slot as bad as it was last year. They bring in Jason McCourty as an older insurance player this year. And even the way they've built their secondary with guys like Eric Rowe, a, a former corner, you know, moved back and forth between corner and safety. He's a safety now in that system. Javon Holland, who they drafted in the second round out of Oregon, has slot corner skills who could play safety. I, you know me, I'm all in on versatility and depth and the secondary. I think the Dolphins have done a great job. But to your point earlier, it's like you – you have this great plan, and then one guy's like, hey, I kind of want out of here, or I want, I want you to pay me a lot of money. So uh, it's a tough spot for the Dolphins. And it's, again, it's just another example like the Cardinals where it's just hard to maintain. Like, you can have all these, these ideas of grandeur and what you're going to achieve with your roster construction, but it's really hard to maintain these guys year on year. Like, you get, you get this, you invest heavily in your cornerback position, you bring in these potential two number ones, and then, like, one year into this, one of them wants out the door because he wants more money. Like, it's just – it's a nightmare trying to assemble a top-tier NFL roster and keep them together, which is why – I mean, as much as – obviously, it's easier when you get Patrick Mahomes, right? It changes all dynamics. But, like, this idea of the what the Chiefs are doing or what the Rams are doing and just zeroing in on, like, five key players and then just accepting that the rest of the roster is going to have perpetual turnover – might not be the worst thing in the world because you like, maintaining an elite roster is ridiculous. Like in the NFL today, it's it's almost impossible to do. You either it's need difficult. to consistently draft higher or better than teams have shown they're consistently able to draft, or adopt this strategy, which is we will pay five guys whatever it takes to keep them in the building. Everybody else, your like your roster spot is hanging by a thread. The second you want more money, see ya. A point, yeah, it puts a lot of pressure, I think, on all of your scouting staffs. You've got a pro scouting staff and you have a college scouting staff. Um, so let's bring up the pro scouting staff for a team like the New Orleans Saints. When you have someone like Michael Thomas go down with ankle surgery, expected to miss the start of the season, about a four-month recovery, so he's going to miss a significant part of the season right now. You know, what do you do? The draft is over, and now it's like, okay, this is where – you got to either you got to figure out a short-term replacement. The argument could easily be made that the Saints also needed a long-term complement to Michael Thomas. Uh, we just did our rankings for you know receiving units and just republished it and put it back out there. They're, I think, fifth worst in the NFL. That's with Michael Thomas. If you hmm. take him off that depth chart, this is the worst group of playmakers in the NFL: receivers and tight ends. And if you're going to get anything out of Jameis Winston or Taysom Hill, they either need. A whole bunch of guys who haven't done it yet to just emerge and become really good players, or they got to make a move. The Saints look like they're in some serious trouble with Michael Thomas out right now. I like the pl- I like the people that are like, oh, you and your like high level, you know, prime time only viewpoint. You guys just don't recognize the brilliance of 
Marquez Callaway and Traquan Smith and the speed and the dynamism that's in this receiving core that's just waiting for an opportunity to be the number one now that Michael Thomas isn't there. Um, okay, yeah. I mean, look, we, we like Traquan Smith coming out. Like, he was a guy we thought would be a good player. Hasn't really He's lived been up fine. To, He's been yeah, fine. He's been sure. a good complimentary receiver. But I would say it's been disappointing compared to the potential we thought he had in him. Um, and like Marquez Callaway, like the dude's got like 24 career targets. How much How much projection is involved in you going, oh, we're okay. We don't need Michael Thomas. Marquez Callaway's just waiting to step into this bigger role. And you'd know that if you had been watching the Saints for more than the primetime games. I'm just like, you know, there's a bunch of deluded people out there is all I'm saying. Listen, you take the three people that have responded to you on Twitter and push them aside. Mm-hmm. Because that's what you're responding to. But it's the truth, right? I mean, that is the fandom. I, next man up. I mean, look, we dealt with this with Colts fans earlier this offseason. You know, I, I love T.Y. Hilton and I love uh, all the guys, you know, Michael Pittman and the guys the Colts have. As numbers two and three on your depth chart, it's still going to make you a better team if you have a better receiver. And, you know, when Jameis Winston, say what you want about Jameis Winston and all the picks and all that stuff, as an aggressive quarterback throughout his career he has moved the ball right Jameis Winston led teams have moved the ball now they've also given it to the other team quite a bit but they moved the ball because he had receivers to throw to I don't want to see what Jameis looks like without that I gotta plug my computer in real quick so you take over oh nice well I was gonna ask you a question I was gonna ask do you think that losing Michael Thomas affects who they start at quarterback because you know we're still in this world where it's I think everybody assumes it's going to be Jameis Winston, but Taysom Hill is the guy sitting there on yeah. the, the relatively big, however fake money it is, contract. I don't think that this is a foregone conclusion that Jameis Winston is their starting quarterback. And I right. actually think you can construct an argument that says that Taysom Hill is a smarter way of doing it, right? Because you're not like Jameis Winston is not going to be able to replicate the offense you had with Drew Brees. You're going to have to fundamentally change a lot of pieces of that offense which was built a lot around Breeze not making big mistakes or not not making mistakes period right so forget big mistakes forget the idea that Jameis is a turnover machine and Breeze relatively isn't although his like his career turnover weight turnover worthy play rate is not in the Aaron Rodgers Russell Wilson Tom Brady it's not in the same place right he's not one of the most risk averse quarterbacks in the NFL never has been but he offsets that by being arguably the most accurate quarterback we've ever seen, right? So right. general mistakes, the difference between Jameis and Breeze is night and day. It's two different ends of the spectrum. So you can't just throw Jameis out there and say, okay, do what you do, only don't make as many mistakes because he's not, he's not capable of doing that. Sean Payton can't just like, you know, wave a magic wand at him and say, boom, done. Now Jameis doesn't screw up anymore. Um, over his career, Jameis Winston, I think, has got the seventh percentile in terms of percentage of negatively graded throws, right? So f- turnovers and just inaccuracy, misses, all that kind of thing. In part because they've thrown down the field a lot more. That's just right. But even like even like eliminating the Arians year, it's still the bottom right. end of the league. But they so, he's always James, that's the thing. But Jameis has always been in a downfield passing offense, right? But he's also always – I mean, I think he tends in that direction anyway, like independent of the offense. Right, part of it's, part of it's him, part of it's right. the system. So I, I just th- don't think that you're going to change that much of who Jameis is, at which point that offense doesn't look the same. It doesn't work the same. It's not as good. If you're accepting 
that you're going from like Hall of Fame quarterback to something worse, why not try and build an offense that functions around a guy's unique skill set and say, all right, Taysom Hill's never going to be a great passing quarterback. He's never going to put up 5,000 yards. He's never going to look, you know, like these other guys. On the other hand, the only guy out there who's like a more dynamic rushing threat is arguably Lamar Jackson. So why not, why not build off that? Why not say, all right, let's try and stop him fumbling the ball, which feels like something we can achieve. Um, he didn't have that many mistakes. He was, he's, not, he's not ball location accurate, but he, he throws a catchable ball, right? It typically is not an uncatchable, inaccurate throw. It's generally not ideal location, but it hits the guy where it needs to go. So he can actually execute this offense and move the ball. And if you cut down the number of times he fumbles, it's a functional offense and an offense that's difficult to defend every week, unlike the one you would be running if you put Jameis Winston in there. Yeah, I I agree with a lot of what you're saying. As much as I want to see more Jameis data points, my point is you're either building a receiving core that's going to play to Jameis' strengths, which is throwing the ball down the field, right? Which is, and I'm not saying 50 yards down the field. I'm saying that that 10 to 25 yard range, that intermediate to, sh- you know, it, mostly the intermediate plus range. Jameis is really good there. Uh, you know, post routes, deep outs. And um, the reason why he had such a high percentage of positives and negatives and had that volatility, because that's what he does. The vertical route tree is what Jameis does. But if you're telling me that he's going to do that with Marquez Callaway, Deontay Harris, who's been, he's a dynamic punt returner who could be a deep threat there, here and there. But think, just hear the descriptions. Marquez Callaway is not running away from anybody. He's not a great route runner, big-bodied receiver. Deontay Harris, a part-time receiver with speed. Traquan Smith, a good number three receiver. It's what he is. It's what the Saints have, right? Even the most optimistic Saints fan, if the best-case scenario happens for all those guys, you're still sitting there. You have to compare yourself to the rest of the league and say our passing attack is now Jameis Winston, probably not a top 15 to 20 quarterback in today's NFL. Jameis Winston throwing to this group of receivers, who even if they're great, probably aren't better than top 15 to 20. So... You got to be realistic about this. It matters what the rest of the league is doing. So I kind of agree with you. Like, so if you with the with Michael Thomas healthy, he's the best chance for making Jameis a better decision maker and taking away some of those misses. He's Michael Thomas is one of the best underneath and intermediate route runners in the NFL. But now that he's gone, I'm kind of with you. The Taysom might be the guy to do something unconventional and play to the strength of your team, which is the offensive line, Alvin Kamara, and then Taysom Hills you know, dual threat ability. I also think, I mean, all things being equal, I might lean Taysom Hill anyway, but the worse your receiving core is, the more I think you're going to need to rely on something other than the receivers to get them opportunities, to get them open, to scheme them open, which is this rushing type of offense, you know, again, similar to what Baltimore do. Like Lamar Jackson has easier throws because Lamar Jackson is a unique rushing threat that creates space right this is what we said since dating back to louisville like he makes easier throws for himself because he's such a dynamic rushing threat Taysom hill is not lamar jackson but him being such an important component of the run game can achieve similar things and it can create bigger windows because suddenly linebackers have to focus on the quarterback's first step and the threat that he runs the ball and they're not two yards to their right cutting off a slant So, you know, a guy that isn't getting a ton of separation just has a bigger window to work with because of what Taysom Hill can do. The other component I think that's missing from this is Taysom Hill as a starter 
is extremely young. Now, I know he's 30 years old, right? Like, so, like, I'm talking experience-wise, not age. He's young, but, young compared to us, too. Yes. But, um, like, he is a young player in terms of experience who has never, like, practiced as a quarterback. Like, this is a dude who spent his entire life preparing week to week to be a gimmick, right? Like, go run coverage on, this, on the kickoff team while we're, like, working on passing drills, right? What if you give him an offseason – to actually say, hey, you're going to be a quarterback. How about you practice that for a while? I, I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility that his capability as a passer improves by practicing it, is all I'm saying. I'm just, I'm just sitting here in awe of, of how the propaganda has gotten to you. I'm Team Taysom. The propaganda has gotten to you. If I don't even think it would be good. Like I've said we all need along. To, listen, hold on, hold on. We need to do a better job of being able to find our archived stuff and, uh-huh. you know, just pull it up on, on, on demand here. Two years ago, hearing your takes about Sean Payton even remotely thinking about Steve Young in the same conversation as Taysom Hill. It's still ridiculous. And, and Sean Payton using the same arguments that you're, ah, oh, the guy's, he's a punt protector. You know, the dude can't even, okay. he hasn't even taken a snap yet. The, but, the potential's through the roof. And no, no, you're no. here two years later. Just reciting the no. propaganda no, back no, no. to our millions no, 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 of no, listeners no. completely swayed and changed like it's Soviet Russia in the 70s and 80s. Incredible, Sam. Incredible no. that you Look, bought into the propaganda. The difference is Sean Payton was talking about this guy being Steve Young. I am talking about him being the best option of a crappy selection, right? Being viable, being maybe better than Jameis Winston and his 30 interceptions a season. You're one, as, you're one good week away from, the, from no, putting Taysom in the Hall of Fame with, with Steve The Young. very first thing, somebody found this article, like the first time I wrote about this idea of Taysom Hill as a starting quarterback, my conclusion was essentially, I think there is an interesting NFL offense that Sean Payton in particular can craft around Taysom Hill that makes him an intriguing starting quarterback. I just don't see the reason why you bother, right? Now I see the reason why you bother because your alternative is Jameis Winston doing a bad Drew Brees impersonation, right? When you had Drew Brees and you were like looking down the line at like what is our potential successor, I don't get why you go to all this trouble to make Taysom Hill that, right? When you can just... Draft a guy, like draft a dude in the second round, like draft Kellen Mond, right? Drafting Kellen Mond is a better succession plan than this, like, let's create a bespoke Taysom Hill offense because that's how we're going to best transition away from Drew Brees. But they didn't do that. So their alternatives are, do you create this custom offense around Taysom Hill that might actually be viable and difficult to defend and kind of good? Or... Do you throw Jameis Winston in there and just hope that he can stop throwing the ball either at the floor or defenders? Or do you put Ian Book out there who has literally nothing that says that he can be a viable starting quarterback? Of those options, Taysom Hill is the lesser of three evils. So what I'm hearing is you've completely bought into Taysom Hill and you put him in the Hall of Fame. He's the next Steve Young. Sold. The propaganda has gotten to Sam. Let's move on. Cam Akers is hurt, Sam. We forgot about it last show. Yeah. He's a running back. Right. But Cam Akers tore his Achilles. He was the Rams running back. They're very high on him. He's good. You know, he's a guy that at uh, at Florida State had no room to run. You know, you, you like to look at that yards before contact, yards after contact. Florida State was just a mess along their offensive line 
uh, over the last four or five years, but especially while Cam Akers was there and from a run blocking standpoint, putting a guy with some shiftiness and with some pass catching ability into that Rams offense was intriguing, had a solid rookie season, but now Cam Akers is hurt. And I don't know how that, how's that, how's it going to affect the Rams and their rushing attack this year? Yeah. I, first of all, I'm, I'm pretty bummed for Cam Akers because it wasn't just, I mean, just, it wasn't quote unquote, just a, you know, a, an ACL or, you know, something relatively routine in terms of severity, like an Achilles injury for a running back is still about as bad as it gets. The, the kind of recovery rate, they're going to come back, but how, whether they're going to be a hundred percent again, I think is still very much an open question for that injury. Like Achilles does tend to have this lingering effect on explosion and your ability to be a big, be a big play guy, which was his game. Um, so I really bummed for Cam Akers and what it potentially means for his future. Hopefully he does come back a hundred percent. It doesn't leave a lasting impact, but it kind of throws that, um, backfield into chaos like we assume that daryl henderson will be the guy uh who's a third round pick the year before or second round pick third round pick um and he'd kind of shown flashes but he's been banged up he's still i think dealing with some kind of injury that might keep him out of the start of the season so i don't think that's a foregone conclusion you've got guys like raymond calais who you know has, has shown some like amazing college tape and, and shows up well in some cool metrics. He was a guy you and Eric kind of stumbled Burst. upon randomly watching yeah. tape and loved. Um, but is, he's another one of these guys that like needs a door to fall open for them because of his size. You know, he's like, what is he? Like five, he's tiny, right? It's like 185 pounds. Oh, yeah. Small. Very slight. So he's the kind of like a bit like Boston Scott, right? Where that guy needs doors to fall open for him to get the opportunity to show that he belongs at this level. And Bart Scott got some chances with the Eagles because guys got hurt. This might be Raymond Calais's opportunity. Did you say Bart? I did Boston? say Bart. I meant Boston. Um, I got you. Sorry. But like those guys, when you're built that size, nobody's going to give you the shot. Like right off the right off the bat, you need to actually get an opportunity to be on the field when you're, you're not supposed to be and show people that you belong at this level. Like Raymond Calais was an undrafted pick for the Bucks, ends up being a special teamer last year, but he's got a shot. And then they've got, you know, other guys on the depth chart that are going to get opportunities as well. Jake Funk, uh, Xavier Jones is a guy. Xavier is now one of these names where you, without you, you've got no shot, right? It's It's like a 50-50. It's, it's either Xavier. Xavier or Xavier, and there's no way of knowing without hearing the guy himself it's just, it's say just his Rhodes. own name. I say just Rhodes is ex-Xavier. Yeah. Um, so anyway, he's a guy that is reportedly um, the team likes as well. So ultimately, though, it comes down to within this offense, does it matter? And the answer is probably if everything else is firing, no. Yeah, I mean, Daryl Henderson got off to a slow start as a rookie, but was much better last year. Started to show that big playability um, that he showed at Memphis, right? He's got some speed, ran 4-4-9 at the combine, but one of those guys who's got the game speed. Um, the thing that hurts is Cam Akers had the sixth best rushing grade on zone concepts. The thing that, you know, the Rams like to run a lot last year. Sixth best in the entire NFL. Daryl Henderson was a lot closer to the middle of the pack there. Uh, he looked like a great outside zone runner at Memphis, but he was doing it a little bit more out of the gun. It's a little different than what exactly what the Rams are doing. Um, but it is one of those things where we talk about the Shanahan system, the McVay system. If they do a good job calling the plays and getting a player into space, you want the speed guy. 
Akers isn't a pure speed guy. He's a little bit shiftier. Henderson, even though they ran similar at the combine, like Henderson kind of has that burst and that big playability. So it could actually work. It's, it's not a good thing for the Rams, but we could see a big year for Daryl Henderson if that thing gets blocked up pretty well up front. Yeah. I mean, as with all running back situations, it's how good is that offensive line going to play this year, which for the Rams has been, you know, an open question every year. They've they, they've rolled into the season under Sean McVay. It could be great. It could be terrible. It could be anything in the middle. So that's the big part. And then how much impact Matthew Stafford and this different offense is going to have? Like, what is the unlocked version of Sean McVay's offense now look like? Can the fact that Matthew Stafford opens up all areas of the field compa- compared with Jared Goff, like that will transform how teams defend the run. That will open up space, which will make life easier. And that's why a lot of people were so high on Cam Akers in the first place, because the situation was going to be better in theory than last year, than what he was dealing with. He was going to have more opportunities, but those are also reasons that the guys that are going to get that shot will have good years or, or have a shot to come in and pick up the slack and not see this drop off. All right, a couple things before we wrap it up here. I want you to pull up the Jets depth chart because uh, it's not new news that Morgan Moses has been signed and is their starting right tackle. But I want to discuss, they were the one team. There were two teams really moved in our offensive line rankings. The Jets moved up and the Pittsburgh Steelers moved down over the the last group of rankings since June. Um, Is this fair to the New York Jets, their offensive line reads right now, Makai Becton at left tackle, Elijah Vera Tucker, the rookie at left guard, uh, most likely Connor McGovern at center, Greg Van Roten at right guard, and then Morgan Moses steps in at right tackle, pushing George Fant, last year's starter, to a backup role. With Becton, Vera Tucker, Morgan Moses, three good, solid starters, if not better when we talk about Becton's case. We assume Vera Tucker's a good, solid starter, but he's a rookie, McGovern and Van Roten below average last year, but both one year removed from solid seasons are the jets. I put them at 22nd in the offensive line rankings. Is that fair with the Morgan Moses edition? That's up about five spots. Yeah. I mean, so this is the kind of move the jets offensive line obviously has been a work in progress for a while. They threw tons of resources at it last year. We speculated at the time that it might not work out that well because the guys that they brought in, didn't necessarily have a strong track record of good play. And each one of them, you know, there was an optimistic case that, hey, if they play at their best level, we now have five capable starters. You know, yeah, but the obvious flip side to that is, well, what if they don't? Like if five of them, if a couple of them play at a level that's just a regular baseline for them so far, they're not going to be good because they haven't been. Um, And that's how it played out. Like we got a couple, like Mekhi Becton, I think played better as a rookie than we were expecting him to, um, given what we knew of him coming out. On the other hand, guys in the middle didn't. Um, so it still needed to work. And they they went hard after Elijah Vera Tucker. I, as much as we don't like the trade up, I, I can see why they did that. And the relative Darth of quality starting guards in the NFL to go after a guy that you're really confident in will be very good you know, quickly is not the worst move in the world. I don't hate that. Interesting so, note. About the offensive line really quick. So I didn't inter- Did you have something else? I didn't mean to interrupt you. Well, so what I was going to say is that bringing in Morgan Moses, a right tackle, I think is another one of these different to just bringing in bodies. I think this is a smart thing because you bring in a guy that, okay, he's a little bit older and the lifespan you're going to get from him is a little bit less, but on the, but your, your break, your baseline of what you would think he will be, even if you're like an, looking pessimistically at it is so much higher than some of the other guys you brought in 
you know, last year that it's just smart. The, the, the chances that you upgraded at right tackle is just an almost certainty when you bring in a guy like Moses compared with some of the other players they brought in. So I really like that as a continual, you know, we, we're not done with this offensive line. We've thrown a lot at it. It isn't fixed yet. We need to keep swinging. And when you swing at guys like that, which is, hey, this isn't tremendously expensive, but it's an almost certain upgrade. I love it. I think that's a great move. Yeah, I think that's the point. And I've made that before with the Houston Texans, the Seattle Seahawks. When you bring in a Larry Tunsil over Julianne Davenport, who was the worst left tackle in the NFL, or you bring in Dwayne Brown a couple years ago as the Seahawks over the worst left. It happened to be George Fant. It was Reese Odiambo. It was the worst left tackle situation in the NFL. Those guys, Dwayne Brown, Larry Tunsil, they're really good players, but they look that much better when they're replacing a guy that is well below average. If you're bringing in a Morgan Moses over, say, a Mike Remmers, average left tackle, it's a marginal potential upgrade, maybe even a wash in certain seasons. But to your point, Morgan Moses should be an upgrade over George Fant. On the downside, he did have three eh, just okay seasons until last year. He had the highest grade of his career last year, 2020, with the football team. I think this move, I think the Jets are going to be sneaky good in the run game because of Morgan Moses, because of Makai Becton, who kills people still, and Elijah Vera Tucker, who's really good getting to the second level, getting on linebackers. I think this is going to be a pretty good study with a Shanahan-esque scheme, a Shanahan scheme coming in, and a nondescript group of running backs, right? It's Tevin Coleman, it's rookie Michael Carter, it's LaMichael Pirine, a nondescript group of running backs with a good run scheme, with power run blockers like Makai Becton and Morgan Moses. Vera Tucker comes in there, and McGovern and Van Roten are okay. I think it actually might help the run game more than anything for the Jets, and some of those running backs might be might produce in uh, fantasy world, Sam. What so I, what I really – I mean, I liken it a little bit to, you know, the Cardinals bringing in a guy like Rodney Hudson. It's like Hudson looks to be on the decline, isn't the player that he once was, but the chances of Hudson not being a significant upgrade for them in the middle of that offensive line are tiny. Like he's almost right. certainly – going to be a legitimate jump in performance at that one spot. So it's a, it's a great move. I think when the difference between that and the, you know, some of the guys they brought in like a, a McGovern in the middle, it's like, what are the chances that guy actually improves the position he was brought in to fix? And I think with, with, with Moses, it's just a slam dunk. So I love that move. I think the jets, you know, they've, they're still finding their way, but I think they've made a lot of smart moves. Did we talk about, we talked about the Trey Turner move with the Steelers already, right? Yeah. I think we've discussed it. That one less, though. Yeah. I mean, I, I moved them to 31st in the O-line rankings. There's an argument that they could be last. There's a legit argument that the Steelers have the worst offensive line going into the season. So uh, we'll see. We just discussed what if they're good a couple weeks ago. That's when we discussed it. Um, but the Steelers move down and the Jets move up with some of their offseason moves. Um, and then speaking of the Steelers, your guy, Vince Williams, uh, all but assuredly gone, cut slash retired or expecting to be retired. Vince Williams, a good hammer of a, a linebacker in the run game and a really good pass rusher and just an overall fun player, Sam. Yeah, didn't like wasn't he cut or whatever like a long time ago? What is it was. the news here? Um, it's your guy. And I think that he might be officially retired. And uh, it's just another loss for the Steelers. He's my guy life. because... He's the only, he's one of the few players I've seen practice in shoulder pads and just shorts. So when they do hitting, players wear like the leg pads and stuff as well. Uh, I hated leg pads when I was playing. 
You know the way like they had to basically force defensive backs in particular to wear them because defensive backs would they would get rid of the leg pads, right? They'd wear the the regular football pants, but there was nothing in them. There was no actual padding. So the NFL like mandated that you had to have some form of padding within these pants. Like you were, you couldn't just get rid of the padding and roll as is. But I hated those pads. They always, you know, I think defensive backs feel that it slows them down or whatever. I don't know if it did, but it just, it was awkward. I didn't like them. So I never wore them. Um, I also was never convinced that there was a hit you could take that those things would actually prevent any form of injury from like, they're not saving your knee from getting shredded. And the kind of hit that you're going to take in terms of the thigh is not putting you down anyway. So what, what's the point? Anyway, I never wore them. I would always practice in shoulder pads and just shorts. And that's how Vince Williams would roll. The dude's playing a linebacker out there when just shoulder pads and shorts. Therefore he's an awesome player. Therefore I love Vince and we should uh, pour one out for his retirement. The NFL lost a good one. There you go. Couple I'm not going to pour this out because there's coffee in there and it would make a mess. Smart. I did it for you. We pour, we, we've now officially poured one out for Joe Thomas and Vince Williams. So. Two players of equal regard in my eyes. Yeah. Love to get Vince on the podcast soon. Um, so that'll do it for us today. So Thursday, I'll be back in the studio. You'll be dressed up as uh, minor league maybe. Steve, potential yeah. major league Steve, triple A Steve, maybe. On the verge of the big leagues, Steve. Don't you think? Is that what you'll be? Uh, sure. Yeah. Okay. I mean, well, put it this way. Me dressed up like that will be just as likely to make the big leagues as you are. Sad, but true. <laughs> Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Don't forget yeah. to save 40 at your last chance. 40% off over at PFF.com. Save for zero. Special thanks to uh, Fantrax and, of course, Manscaped. Yes. Let's check them out. Fantrax and Manscaped. That'll do it. See you on Thursday.